Before we knew him as notorious Nick Saban, before he was the cutthroat, soul-snatching, gridiron great with more rings than Michael Jordan and Kobe, and as many championships as Tom Brady and Lewis Hamilton. Before playing his teams was like the Bene Gesserit saying, put your hand in the box. A warlock with that recruiting talk. Before his defenses turned best laid plans into a mess made. Before his offenses were more lethal than Nas on ether. There was nothing remarkable about Nick Saban for the first full decade of his career. It took 17 years for Saban to get his first head coaching job. 17, like my favorite cross-Canadian ragweed song. And that was at Toledo. With his first three seasons as a head coach at a Power Five, he went 19-16 and one. He was, in the word he despises most, mediocre. He also never wasted a failing, his words, and my words, those that wax poetic and declare him the greatest college football coach of all time, that his LSU and Alabama national title teams were something like Thanos after gathering all the stones into a gauntlet forged from the heart of a dying star. He called that poison, like rat poison. It's like taking poison, like rat poison, all right, so. But that 2020 Alabama team, the power stone in Saban's fist that won him his seventh national title and sixth at Bama? The one that not only busted the Bucknuts in the national title game, but finished undefeated in the midst of a worldwide plague? It really is one of the greatest of all time. Just like him. I'm so happy, 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 I can't tell you. And I'm so proud. Saban a diminutive West Virginian who probably would have cut you one hell of a deal on a Mercedes if he wasn't selling you on sending your kid to play for him. And that is where he famously excelled. No one outworked Saban. So much so that when he finally decided to retire in January 2024 at age 72, it was because he couldn't promise to hold his own standard, to do it right. As his daddy, Big Nick, said to him, if you don't have time to do it right, where do you find time to do it over? Because it's going to be done right. In Saban's book, How Good Do You Want to Be? Saban wrote that his father took him to the inner earth where coal is mined after he got a D in eighth grade music. When we reached the bottom, he turned to me his face glowing red in the deep black. Is this what you want? You want to work down here the rest of your life? Saban got the what for and the how now and the foot to behind because there's nothing like digging out coal to light a fire under your backside, pun intended. The man born on Halloween in Fairmont, Virginia would terrify and haunt foes, but he'd be a journeyman coach before he'd be dominance personified. Two years as a GA at Kent State, two more coaching linebackers, then Syracuse, West Virginia, Ohio State, Michigan State, the NFL. Damn near two decades of working for other people, but he wasn't idly taking those jobs. He took what he could use and he left the rest. And one thing he knew, he could use a strength coach who carried himself like an Old Testament prophet. John Talty wrote in his book, the leadership secrets of Nick Saban, that the first strength coach he ever hired, Ken Manning, 
told the 1989 Toledo Rockets he'd pissed in all four corners of the building. In case anybody didn't understand, that talk is cheap, but these hands is free. Saban told that team their winter training would be the hardest thing they ever had to do. And he was proud of that. Chicago Bears coach Matt Eberflus played linebacker on that team. He said, the one thing that you recognize right away was you were going to move at his pace. And his pace was a championship pace. That team started the year 6-0 and won a share of the conference title. Championship pace. Here's what Nick Saban believed. Your toughness is a direct reflection of your conditioning. High achievers hate mediocre people and mediocre people hate high achievers. The pain of discipline hurts less than the pain of disappointment. And when his team chose to test that, that loss nearly broke him. First, you have to remember, Alabama was still digging its way out of a loss of 30 scholarships from 1995 to 1998 after the NCAA found the Tide had committed major violations around the 1993 season, one year after having won the national title in 1992 and its first since 1979. Then you have to know, in 2007, the only folks that thought Nick Saban could turn Bama back into a winner lived damn near exclusively in Alabama. The world had been conquered by Trojans in California, by Buckeyes in Columbus, by Gators in Florida, by Sooners in Oklahoma, and by the very LSU Saban turned into a juggernaut. This was especially true after the Tide walked into Bryant-Denny a 25-point favorite to Louisiana Monroe and proceeded to drop that game 21-14. to SEC teams don't lose to Sunbelt teams, or at least they shouldn't, because when they do, I'm bound to do a money-in-the-bag segment and places like ULM are liable to hang the billboard, if not the banner. The billboard Tide rolled, ULM 21, Alabama 14 is out there. Find it. When the Tide was selected to play in the Independence Bowl in Shreveport, the bus traveled I-20. And that damn billboard, still there for them to see. This while Saban was still taking his licks for leaving LSU in the lurch for the hapless Miami Dolphins. If you want to see how this could have ended the Saban run before it could even walk, ask yourself, what head coach in the Big Ten or SEC keeps his job long after putting money in the bag? Context here is, it ain't just that the Tide got rolled 21 to 14 by a team that probably would have lost to West Monroe High. It's that Alabama paid $1 million for the privilege. Alabama, you've been took. I said you've been had. You've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, led astray, run amok. This is what he does. Louisiana Monroe put the shimmy in the shag. Alabama put the money in the bag. That kind of loss could have broken Saban. It's broken plenty of fans. That 2007 team started 6-2. It ended 6-6. But that was also the last time Nick Saban coached an Alabama team that would get beat by simply not playing to the standard. The standard is perfection. 
He relentlessly preached that you're not playing to the scoreboard. You're playing to the whistle. And kinfolk, have they ever realized that Alabama didn't lose to another unranked opponent for 14 years and won 100 straight? That record might stay forever. Talty wrote Saban built Alabama's identity around recruiting, so much so that he held an all-staff meeting, including custodians and secretaries, to tell them just that. Everything they did was about recruiting, which meant they were always going to be neat, tidy, organized, galvanized to show what Alabama football is. Moore knew this too. Indeed, Saban told the man paying him $32 million that he'd hired a horseshit football coach, but nobody will out-recruit me. You can see, like Enzo Ferrari, this man has a type. He doesn't go with his gut, and he doesn't freelance. He recruited like he coached, with a destination in mind every time, and he took recruiting as seriously as any man who has ever been in love. After leading LSU to its first national title in 45 years, with an ass whooping I still feel as an Oklahoma fan, LSU trustee Charlie Weems found Saban sitting alone in a dressing room minutes after winning the whole damn thing. Weems asked him, what's the matter? Maybe there was a death in the family, a fatal diagnosis for a close family friend. Turned out to be none of the above. What was eaten Saban was, and I'll quote Monty Burke's Saban, the making of a coach here. What am I going to do now? How am I going to follow this up? That wasn't an act. At the post-game presser, fresh off holding the crystal ball aloft, he said into a microphone, this year's accomplishments are next year's expectations. Like Nate Diaz, I'm not surprised that Mac Jones led that 2020 national title team like Maverick after saying dagger attack, that Najee hit the hole looking to catch a body, that Devontae ran by cornerbacks to the Heisman like his last name is Ferrari, that you certainly weren't throwing on Pat Sertan, that you were terrified of Jalen Waddle in the open field. What surprises me is a coach who waited damn near two decades to be a head coach, didn't win his first of seven national titles until his 32nd year in the sport as a coach whose resume is a staggering result after a staggering result built a titan in the sport by clinging to a deep disgust for results-oriented strategies in a business defined by results no one knew better than Saban that winning after all is a process